Racing YouTube channel. Hey, thanks for tuning in today and uh, hope everybody had a good Christmas. Casey, what's going on with you? I heard you had quite the drive to get back home. Yeah, I'm glad to just not be in the uh, vehicle anymore, man. The uh, the 19-hour drive I dreaded every single Christmas. So uh, it's like I was telling our guests earlier in this uh, getting the stream going, man. And uh, I'll tell you what, David Statham, what's up, man? Bracket Racer 9622, what's up? Uh, man, every time after about 12 to 14 hours, depending on how you feel, that extra hour after that feels like about five it's it's terrible man especially because for me i start getting in about the mountain areas like kind of getting into fast and fincham land whenever i'm on the way home newport and uh dude it starts getting a whole lot of squirrely and a whole lot of darkness and uh it's it's just it's tough when you're tired <laughs> i can imagine like i said i didn't have to go anywhere i stayed home the whole time so no travel for me i bet you probably um pretty tired to say the least you might even still be recovering from that type of a trip 19 hours did you do that all in one shot or did you stop oh no we always roll in one shot if we can the uh just get about four or five cups of coffee on the way and just let it ride <laughs> <laughs> let it ride i can't regret it what's going on man i see uh my sister in here as well thanks for joining us she happens to watch us every week casey so uh, no i'm not gonna take much of everybody's time it's the winter series, guys. I know you've been hearing me te teasing about this winter series for a few months now, and and the, I'll tell you what, the docket list is full of of excellent bracket racing uh, influencers, uh, influencers, whatever you want to call it. I probably used that word a little wrong there, but but we're set to have a good show tonight. You're watching Going Bracket Racing here. Let's get a couple words from uh, good friends at TSR. Thank you very much for that uh, for the giveaway, by the way, Casey. Do you remember who won that? Yeah, man, I actually got it written down because I need some information from two other people. So, Nick Caputo, I got your information. I already talked to you earlier today. We got your stuff coming in the mail, coming tomorrow. Rodney Gale, I need your info. And JAS Racing, I need your info also. So, just send us a message over there on the Facebook page at Going Bracket Racing. And uh, either that or send us an email at Going Bracket Racing at gmail.com. And uh, just get us your address, and I'll drop those in the mail with Nick's tomorrow, man. Yeah, yeah, no, and while you're at it, guys, if you've seen on the page, looks like Champ's performance, uh, he's got some $100 gift card giveaway going on on his page, too. So I posted a link on Going Bracket Racing. Follow that link. Make sure you share it and comment on the original post, which is on Champ's Facebook page. And that way you get entered into that $100 giveaway. I know if you're like me, you guys have some things going on with the race with the race cars uh, this offseason. You might want to make an upgrade, upgrade here or there. And uh, make sure you guys uh, head over to Champ for those types of things. So, hang in there, guys. Let's get a few words from TSR, and uh, we'll be right back to you. TSR Racing Products has everything you need to make your Power Glide Turbo 350, Turbo 400, and 727 transmissions the best they can be on the street or at the track. With exceptional products, customer service, and over 30 years of experience, TSR Racing Products is always available to help their customers with any of their transmission needs. In-house machining ensures you only receive the best products from TSR Racing. Visit TSR Racing Products at tsr-racing.com or give them a call at 800-394. 5889. All right, guys, you see these two guys on the screen. You know that uh, George, out of everybody, always wants to talk about the goat. He always wants to talk about the goat. Well, right here, we got the goat. 
We've had Ryan Blakehorn, we've had Jake Hodge, they've all said Big Jim's the GOAT, and we got JJ here, we got the secondary potential over here next to him. So, Jim, that staying in the bloodline or what? <laughs> well, I, I certainly don't uh, take credit for being the GOAT, but uh, JJ's following his old man's footsteps for sure, whatever they are. I heard that. I might as well call them GOAT and Baby GOAT. <laughs> they call them baby goats or is there a different word for it i don't know you know but uh so guy welcome to the going bracket racing youtube show uh you are live so uh, we'll get some questions here every now and then we'll try to pepper those in and maybe you guys can get a little interaction with the fans there but as always and this is the first question we ask every single time we have guests on bracket racing uh, i'll shoot this to the both of you and feel free to answer at will but how did you guys become um infatuated is i think the best word with bracket racing um well first of all thank you george and casey for allowing us to be on the show we, we really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with your guests and to your guests and uh, i'm a fan of the show so this is really cool for me i'll answer that first um, bracket racing is in my family my father did it as i was well before, well before i was born uh, class racing and then into bracket racing and um then Obviously, I became infatuated with it as a youngster, and he started me racing at 13, and that was 1984 when I was 13, so there were no junior dragsters. My, my junior dragster was a 71 Pontiac Granville, which was as long as my house, um, so I was out there racing with grown men at 13, getting my head caved in, and just learned the sport through that channel, and certainly through my father racing. He was very successful racing. Just always been in my family, and I think it's obvious how my main man right here got into it. Do you want to answer that best way you can? Uh, pretty much same way. Obviously, like he said, it's it's in our family. Uh, my granddad, his dad, did it a long time, and uh, long before he was born. Obviously, he said he started at 13, which was long before I was born. <laughs> uh, you know, the first car and only car for a long time I ever saw him race was obviously Big Red. And uh, I fell in love with the car, fell in love with the sport and everything. And he started me racing when I was 14 years old. And uh, obviously they were juniors, but it just, juniors were not in the cards for me. And I started at 14 racing big cars with grown men. And, you know, he's taught me everything I know. And I'm still learning everything through him and just getting my head caved in like he did. <laughs> yeah, I know all about that. I'm out of information, so um, I don't know anything else to teach him. Yeah, yeah. Well, luckily, uh, luckily, I hear you got uh, what's his name, Luke Bogacki's phone number. Is that uh, somebody important? <laughs> I do have Luke's digits? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, JJ, I got a question for you, man. Uh, people your age usually shy away from public speaking, but it doesn't really seem like it you uh what's it like being a traveling announcer for these mega money races and speaking to tens of thousands of people on a weekly basis well uh obviously my dad's been doing it for quite a while and i started at a very young age in bristol at the world Footbreak challenge picking up a microphone and just kind of just speaking into it not really knowing what i was doing but uh everybody Usually to me, from what I see, they encourage me. They tell me that they like what I do, and that just kind of helps me move forward and keep the mindset that what I'm doing is uh, right and good and helping 
uh, make sure everybody knows what's going on during the run. So I just kind of keep that and just kind of run with it. Yeah, man, we got uh, we actually do have comments over here just specifically about that. We got champs over here saying, I bet JJ aces math class thanks to bracket <laughs> racing. So I mean, that's how I'm not good at math also. Um, but uh, we also have a guy old racer in here saying this kid's the man, very good announcer. So obviously it's uh, it's ringing true. That's for sure. As we appreciate it very much, sir. Oh yeah. oh yeah, and as a matter of fact, we got the goat and the baby goat. I said it once. I'm gonna probably say it for the rest of the show. <laughs> hey, hey, Everybody gets bad because I throw the word goat around a lot, but I throw it back. So my uh, so <laughs> my buddies actually that I used to work with uh, Newman Design here. So that's Will Newman. He says actually a baby goat is a kid, so it works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> And I live in Alabama, so I shouldn't be making goat sounds. That's, that should never happen here. I've got Paige Hamlin over here in the Facebook chat. She says she's going to call you Baby Goat from now on. So, uh, JJ, <laughs> welcome to the name Baby Goat, brilliantly dubbed by Casey well, and George at the Glowing Bracket Racing YouTube channel. How do you like it? <laughs> I would uh, I would expect nothing less So Paige. So, so. And, and guys, it, it's, it's been an interesting year. We're moving into 22 some, somehow. 2021, just like the wind blew, and here we are at 22, I guess, right? So moving into this year, and, and this question for both of you, and in whichever order you'd like to answer it, but uh, what are your thoughts on the status of big money bracket racing moving into 22? Uh, will we see the, the biggest race ever, the biggest year ever, or are we going to see more of the 10s, 20s, and 50s? In your own opinions, there's no correct answer here. Um, George, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I don't want to sound uh, not as optimistic as I need to sound, but I think the landscape of big money bracket racing is scaling back. I think it's changing. Obviously, the million-dollar races kind of blew up, the guaranteed millions through SFG and the Great American brand. Uh, those were successful races, but they're very risky, very challenging difficult to pull off uh, i can imagine the anxiety of the promoters all up until basically sunday when it's over so i think you'll see those things go away and there will be large money racing throughout the the year so it's going to be a healthy year i think 2022 is going to be very healthy for large bracket races big big money races but we will see that scale back some in comparison to what we've seen the last two to three years. Yeah, and I kind of agree with that. It's kind of, it seems like it's going to be, uh, uh, and I'll let you answer here in a second, but it seems like it's going to be the, the the year of the local racetracks, in my opinion. I hope the big money scene and all that other stuff continues on as it should. But uh, like you said, this is going to be a pretty good year here. JJ, it's your turn to answer that question. You need me to repeat it? You got it. Uh like like you said, the millions, the guaranteed millions, they're they're successful but risky. And I I honestly think you're going to see a lot of the tens, twenties, the fifties, hundreds, that kind of deal. Uh, a lot more of that than what we've seen. I think that'll be the majority of how many races are on the big money scale. So just pretty much that kind of stuff, and the millions will fall back. Maybe every now and then, every other year, maybe, but. Most likely just your normal 10, 20, 50, 100 deal. Now, kind of on the same same subject somewhat, 
Uh, what were the car counts like this season? Because sometimes, you know, being behind the screen, like watching Motor Mania on YouTube, you know, things like that, uh, the camera angle kind of can trick a guy watching from his house because if the pit area is massive, like, for example, if you go to Gateway, Gateway is huge. You could have 400 cars in there and it looks like no one's there. Um, you know, or you could go to some little track like I-57 and you could have 100 cars there and it looks packed, you know. Uh, so it's just the 2020 season kind of fresh in our minds as far as where everybody converged on one area because there were only certain areas that you could actually – race uh were the car counts low were they what you expected um it's just or like i said it's 2020 just kind of blowing everything out of proportion where people just don't really know what what does a full track look like anymore yeah i think uh, 2020 set a, a tone that was hard to duplicate casey i i believe 2020 was the most interesting year we've had in racing in, in my career with the, the COVID violations and, I mean, COVID restrictions and, and rules. So I believe that the, the record crowds that we were seeing everywhere were a result of people being cooped up and being told what they couldn't do. So, you know, a lot of that was I'm going to go do what you say I can't do and find an area where I can do it. So 2021 in its own right was a very successful year. Car counts were very good. However, they were scaled back from 2020, but I don't think it's a fair comparison to compare with 2020. Uh, our two events in Bristol just about mirrored one another car count wise, which was very good for us in from 2020 to 2021. But in terms of what the, the foot brake racer has available to them, you know, it's just not a ton of those big events to go to. So I think that's one of the things that leads to our success on the Coburg Race Promotions brand. And certainly Bristol is a, <laughs> is very helpful because that's a destination track. But overall, I believe that 2021 was a very successful year with very good car counts. But it was interesting, just like the Spring Fling brands, they did away with pre-entry and ended up with about the same crowds they were getting but, you know, 2020 was the record, you know, 45-second sellouts and those crazy things that yeah. we were seeing. And it was making people so mad because they couldn't get in those races. Well, now you opened it up for anybody that wanted to go, and the crowd looked exactly the same. <laughs> so I think it's just all in what you tell a racer and how you present it to them and is how they receive it as to what people consider fair and not fair. So – Overall, I believe that, that the racing was very good in 2021, and I think that will continue in 2022. And you led me to another uh, question there. It's actually, so this is a question my wife actually specifically wanted me to ask JJ. I was sitting on the couch earlier before this, and she's like, you have to tell everybody it was my idea, though. So, JJ, <laughs> I got a question for you from my wife. So, my wife wanted me to ask you. What do you think the future of bracket racing holds or just drag racing in general? Like what direction are people your age headed towards? Like, are they headed towards NHRA, like class racing, uh, you know, stock, super stock, super comp, et cetera. Um, are they wanting to go do big money racing? Are they even headed to top ET in general, or maybe they heading toward foot break? What do you think? Um, well, my friends specifically around home that I have that are my age, we're just kind of, you know, we want to do the big money stuff and we want to just kind of stay around in bracket racing. 
not really wanting to do the NHRA or any of that stuff. Uh, most of us really want to hit the top and want to do that big money stuff, but we also want to be able to hit the bottom too. Uh, a couple of us do. Some of us are just kind of mainly focused on the top bulb. And so really from what I've seen from young racers that are my age or around my age, most of what I've seen is just wanting to stick to the big money bracket racing scene. Mm-hmm. So you think that, uh, do you think that it's, it's kind of turning into, because you say, you know, there's a lot of people want to hit the top and the bottom. Do you think that people are going to start buying cars? Like, for example, like your old man's Nova, my Nova's like that too, only not nearly as nice. Um, but the point is with that car, you can run a little bit of both because it's not so fast that you can't not red light, you know, foot braking. Um, if you put the right size tires on it or something, um, but also it's not so slow that you're getting freight trained by all these 420 dragsters. You know what I mean? So do you think that the door cars are coming back in an essence potentially? Um, well, see me and my friends that, uh, that want to do a little bit of both, you know, we kind of stick in the, you know, maybe that range or maybe like a little slower, like six twenties or so. And, uh, I have a couple of friends that want to run dragsters. They want to be fast. They don't really want to hit the bottom. They, uh, they specifically want to go fast and they want to be, uh, consistent and just be able to run past the door cars on the top bulb side of things. And that's perfect too, because JJ, we know we, we, we've watched if you guys, if you guys have Facebook, I have Facebook, everybody has Facebook. You're watching us on Facebook. So, we know you just recently got into what I would call the door trucks rule side of the game. Uh, I have an S, I have an S10 myself. Uh, and so welcome, welcome to the good, to the good side, JJ. Uh, those no guys, just, uh, Casey and your dad, they don't want to watch, they don't want to race against you and I. Just stay away from me, JJ, and we'll pick on them, okay, together. But, um. Stay so, away from me. <laughs> stay away from me. <laughs> so, so. Hey, I'm just over here trying to, I was texting uh, Chad Corey the other day, just asking if he could teach me how to win first round. So <laughs> that was a good person right, to text right. for crying out loud. <laughs> so, so JJ, uh, have you convinced the old man to let you drive Big Red yet? I said all that just to ask you that question. <laughs> well, uh, not not yet. I haven't yet. Gotcha. But um, right now, I'm going to stick with the S10. You know, six seventies is where I'm going right now. So. That's kind of perfect for where I'm at right now, and I'll I'll work my way up to it eventually. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that, that was an excellent answer. Uh, do you, do you care to elaborate, uh, Big Jet? Care to elaborate? <laughs> He'll definitely get there. Uh, actually, you know the Big Red's about as tamed as it's ever been right now. He could probably get in there right now and go five eighties, <laughs> and it would not be an issue. It's it leaves real soft. It's got a great soft BT torque converter in it. That's it makes it real easy to drive, so he'll he will get there sooner than I thought he will get there. He'll probably be there in a year or so where he's ready to, to make a hit. Oh, I got you, and I, I know this, what you mean by taste. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> Breaking news! Breaking news! Breaking news! Uh, <laughs> I know what you mean by tame, though. We have a thumbnail of uh, of uh, of a uh, big red doing a wheelie. I didn't know if you were going to drag the back of the car or what, but your your wheels. Oh. I mean, to tell you that bad boy was way up there. And so JJ, oh. man, I don't know about you, but I, I I like to go to the bathroom at the bathroom, and <laughs> <laughs> Big Red I'm might make you leave. <laughs> Woo! 
Ooh, that might make me leave something at the starting line. I think I'm going to stay away from it. You have fun with that. I will say, you talk about his car, his car doing big wheelies and that thumbnail. Well, right now, my S10 does bigger wheelies than his car. <laughs> could even think about right now. So, there you go. And I, well, I'm talking I'll tell you what, man. The, uh, the, thing that, uh, the thing that I've always been told is the people who love the wheelies are everybody watching and the announcer, but not the driver. And I can tell you for a fact, my brother was dragging the bumper earlier this year, and uh, I've, I've driven fast cars. I've never been as jacked up after I got out of that whenever it was dragging the bumper still at 60 foot. And uh, it's, a, it's just a different thing because you're not in control of it. It just there, it, your options are to get out of it and destroy the oil pan or, or set it down oh. the ring or have to go straight. Either one of them bad ideas. <laughs> yeah, when your oil pan is an inch and three quarter off the ground and you've got a strut front end, big wheelies are a very bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm over those. We got Chris Gavitti uh, in here saying uh, Nova Nation. Uh, we got Anthony Hurst right. in here saying S10. Hashtag good side, hashtag door trucks rule. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right, Anthony Hurst. Chris Lady, I, I don't know about the Nova Nation just because I don't own one, but uh, if you want to let me drive yours, hey, just, just call me. I'm only a few hours north of you anyway, so hey, put me in where I can get in at Nova. <laughs> Chris has about 15 cars in the trailer at any given time, so he could probably work a deal at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, so... We love hearing both of you and Mike at all these big races and everything, and, and you both really let us know kind of what's going on and put a little heat in there whenever uh, whenever we need it, whenever there's any kind of downtime. What, what are your plans for the 2022 season? Uh, I know Jen obviously said you're kind of halfway retired, but you pop up every once in a while. JJ, you're obviously on the bike most places, it seems like, anymore, especially if the old man's there. Um, but now that obviously you're both doing some driving, uh, what's what are the plans? You're doing more driving next year, doing more announcing. You kind of just going to announce where you're playing on racing. Uh, what's what's your ideas? Uh, definitely, really having a blast with JJ and, and seeing him learn the game and progress in the sport. So I want to do as much of that um, work free, responsibility free as I can. So. We will stay around the house a lot. We, we live in the Birmingham area. We're blessed to have several tracks right around us. We're right in the middle of Montgomery and Huntsville, outside of the tracks that we have local to us. So we've got great racing available, a lot of big money potential, and a lot of great weekly programs. So we're going to stay around the house, Casey, and have a good time. Um, you know, we'll both get on the mic locally and, and help out when asked or needed. And certainly when we appear at something that could be considered a large-scale event, uh, we're always available to help when we can, when the racing's not getting interrupted by the work. Um, right. that, that, that model for me is, is in the past for now. I can't say that it'll stay that way. You know, when J.J. goes to college in a couple of years or he's just kind of doing his own thing, you know, Maybe I will get out to, to some of those again. But uh, in the meantime, I'm going to race with family. My wife's got a, a, a 79 Malibu back half car that, that I raced in the B&M days, and I got it back recently. So uh, we're, we're going to be a family racing locally and just having a great time, man. Awesome. That, that led me to another, uh, another question that I just thought of, is, which is uh, 
so whenever I was younger, like I did run junior dragsters and I started running them in like 98, I believe. So pretty much whenever they were a new thing and things were getting filled, figured out, you know, like I remember when the Blockzilla came out and we were just like, oh, this is awesome. We finally don't have to blow everything up all the time, you know? <laughs> um, but my point is, is whenever I was younger, I would have been about 10 then. I used, I was always at the track with my dad, just like, just like JJ. I was always at the track with my dad. So I kind of knew how to race whenever I got into juniors and things like that. So I did pretty good just because I understood like, when you do this, you got to lift. Whenever this happens, if you're, if you're supposed to be getting there and you're not, you must have been bad on the tree and stuff like that. But I guess my general question was, with JJ, obviously you grew up the same way, but being in the tower and seeing like what I, I don't want to sound the wrong way, but like real racers, like some of these guys race for a living, you know, like they're, they're the best of the best that you're watching on that screen. Do you learn anything at times uh, saying like, you know, Chamber Corey goes up here. The thing I always remember, because it just happened, was Chamber Corey runs all out, goes 457, and the guaranteed million. And then next round goes down to six cars, blatantly on Will Holloman of all people, dials up what four or five numbers, and then wow. it's five total after he was just three total. I mean, do you learn anything by looking at the incrementals? Um. I, I learn here and there, obviously. Uh, he's most of the time he's there to help me uh, go over that kind of stuff. Or And, you know, you learn kind of what to do uh, at the finish line in certain situations, obviously, most of the time, uh, depending on who you're watching. If somebody misses it and they know they miss it and their opponent's in good shape uh, at the finish line, obviously whoever thinks they missed it, they're going to drop and try and uh, get out of the race as quick as possible and, uh, try to break the other guy out and I learned from that kind of learn what to do on the big end in those kind of situations but obviously I, I owe it all to him for what I've learned in the sport don't blame it on me <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what what I hope he learned from that Casey watching a guy like Champ with it which is as talented as anybody that, that goes to the racetrack what I hope he learns is it's not always one strategy you know, your, your strategy can change round to round, day to day, whatever. You know, you, you, you want to have every tool in the toolbox to be able to, to apply the right tool at the right time. So I hope that's what he learns. Um, you know, some people, some people view holding several numbers as very boastful or, you know, cocky, but it's not that at all. It's anytime you can, get in someone's change someone's mindset by the way you dial your car that's a, that's an advantage and they think they have to do something extraordinary to beat that run based on the way you're dialed and you know i think that just leads itself to as long as you execute that leads itself to more win lives for you right you just have to have you have to it's it's really funny because you know how we all you know we're all obsessed with bracket racing but most people don't understand even what bracket racing is and i always compare it to poker there's always strategies in poker for everything and you can bluff your way to win in a lot of rounds and i'm not a i'm not a poker player by any means but I, that's what i've always equated it to because in college you'll figure this out jj you go to college you're probably the only guy there <laughs> that knows about bracket racing but you still <laughs> want to talk about it because that's what you want to talk about you know but if you equate it to something like that there's always a strategy for everything but number one Number one rule is you always have to have the discipline to execute whatever the strategy was 
and there should never be a scenario where you both go five under uh, and stuff like that. It's just that guy messed up a little less than you or something. You didn't push him out at that, you know. You've got to commit to your strategy, and I, we talk about those things. You know, it doesn't matter if you're holding two. It doesn't matter where they are. you got to get rid of two. And, right. you know, you don't want to get rid of four. You want to get rid of two to three. Right. And you have to commit to your strategy and be able to execute it, and then, you know, the, the wind lights will fall your way. And it's not as easy as Cherup and Bohannon and Holloman and all those guys make it look. <laughs> I hate the guys that make it look easy. Man. Yeah, or he makes it look easy every time. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, I hate it even more when they make it look so easy when I'm in the other lane. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's just the way it works, right? But but uh, no, in the chat, Rick Cummings says sandbaggers are cheaters. Man, <laughs> hey, hey, you you telling on a lot of your brothers, according to West Washington, because he says your brother has been cheating for years. So good cheater when he sees one. <laughs> so let's switch gears a little bit. Let's switch just a little bit here. And uh, Jed, we've had Fitchum on the show. Uh, we've had Foley on the show. We actually had both of them on the show at the same time. Except Foley didn't know Fitchin was there listening in and getting ready to chime in on him. But but uh, give us one of your stories, one of your good bracket racing stories. And uh, and uh, Mike's yours. I, I'm ready for this. I'm waiting on this well, thing. It's not. I have quite a few, as you can imagine. Uh, we we've had a really good time over the years at the races, and I've been doing this again since '84. So I'm about to enter my 38th year of on track racing. So. Quite a few stories, but one of my favorites is is about my dad. Uh, my dad was a hard charger. He's a he's a guy that that raced and he did it to the beat of his own drum. And and nobody could tell my dad how to prepare his car. Nobody could tell him how to dial his car. And you dang sure didn't tell Bobby Joe Pennington when to burn out because he's gonna burn out. He didn't. He can't stand it when the guy's standing there and telling him when to burn out. So. He's going to burn out when he, by God, wants to burn out. <laughs> and nobody can stop it. So I take you back about 15, 16 years to Fulton Dragway in northeast Mississippi. And Fulton is a little outlaw racetrack that is about as country as it gets. They don't even have light, so they had to finish in the daytime. And my dad was racing his 62 Studebaker Lark, which was probably a little too fast for this track. The track was only 580 feet. Uh, so they had 80 feet cut out of the, the normal distance. And you think, well, why would somebody do that? 80 feet don't make a big difference. Well, believe me, it makes a huge difference at Fulton, Mississippi, because uh, it's, a, it's a short stopping area and you don't want to be going real fast. My dad was going probably 560s there or something like that, which is low sixes on a normal eight. So he's uh, he's piled up in the water box and he's waiting. Well, you know, they got a guy standing there that tells you when it's time to burn out. But again, don't nothing tick him off worse than somebody telling him when to burn out. So <laughs> basically just as soon as the tire hits the ground on the car in front of him when he lets go, my dad's burning out. And that guy probably saw something that my that, that told my dad not to burn out yet and he he was probably trying to hold him up but so I'm gonna go visual aid for you here I want you to I want you to really understand <laughs> what's going on here so let me fix my glasses my my dad's got his open face helmet on he's got that anybody ever done this on the show I doubt it <laughs> <laughs> 
hot rod pendulum. So he's in that <laughs> two Studebaker, and you you kind of you kind of piled up in it like this. Car was as short as my laptop, and we're going back. So one one thing about Fulton is if you're on the racetrack, if all four tires are touching pavement, you're in the groove. So that poker <laughs> place was just a groove. So Dad, he he sees the car in front of him leave. Burn! Burn out probably seven thousand RPM like he's always. He just piled up in that thing. And he's ready to come out of the burnout. And, you know, the guy's standing there, and Dad ain't paying him no attention because he don't want to look at him. You don't want to look at the guy when you know you're breaking his rules. So you're <laughs> him. You can't even look at him. So Dad's burned out, and he comes out of the burnout, comes out about two feet, and the car just <laughs> jumps off the ground, foot in the air. Like, oh, my God. My dad's like, oh, my God. I've run over the water box guy. I wasn't looking at him. I don't know where he was standing. I think I've run over him. So he, he stops just as soon as he jumps up in the air. He shoves her in part. He jumps out with his open face. He's got his open face coming on. He's looking around. Where is, he? where is he? I've hit the water box guy. I run over him. Well, they're yelling from the tower, which is, you know, Cracker Jack box size tower. And they're yelling. Bob, it's okay. It's okay. He's like, no, no, it's not okay. I've hit the water box. I run over him. How's it okay? It was just a track dog. You've hit the track dog. You've run over him. Coming in. So the water box guy's wanting him to hold up so, so track dog can ease across. Because even the track dog knows that the cars are going to be near the finish line before we're going to let you burn out. Not Bobby Joe Pennington. Man. So track dog didn't know that Bobby Joe Pennington was going to burn out when he wanted to. He runs over the track dog. They hold everything up, drag the dog off the track. He's bleeding out of every orifice he's got. The dog is, for all intents and purposes, the dog's dead. And, and it's a track dog. It's family dog. Everybody's trying to make my dad feel better about it. Just stage, Bob. Just stage the car. You're fine. It's just the dog. So dad stages. He wins the round. They spray the dog off with the with uh, right by the water box, obviously. So they got a hose. They hose the dog down real good, clean all the blood off. They throw him in a minivan, and they haul him to the local vet. Now they only race on Sundays, so they had to call the vet and say, "Hey, meet us, meet us at the office. Uh, we've had somebody run over the dog coming out of the water box, and we we got to try to save him." What do you think the bill was to save a, a dog on Sunday? They saved him. They saved the dog on Sunday. What do you think that bill was? Twelve hundred bucks. Be high. Dad, yep. my dad wins another round, gets to eight cars, wins twenty five dollars, and he's such a kind hearted man. I love him. I really do. I think <laughs> the world of Bobby Joe Pennington. He said, "Just keep it and put it towards it." No idea. He don't. He never had a dog, so he don't even know it costs you twenty five dollars to go get him some treats. So my dad, just keep that and put it on the vet bill. <laughs> you just tried to kill our dog. Twenty-five dollars ain't even gonna scratch it. That wouldn't even get his nails cut. And and you give us that. Thanks, Bob. We really appreciate it. Can't wait to see you back next Sunday. But the moral of the story is sometimes we don't always know what we think we know. And sometimes it's okay for someone else to guide us through processes that we think we don't need guidance for. And this was one of those times. <laughs> That's right, man. Good thing is the track dog lived. Hey, at least he was willing to contribute to the bill. That's true. He contributed, yes. Yeah, he did great. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> man, I got to collect myself now. So, Mitchell ain't ever seen anybody run over the track dog. Okay. <laughs> right. hey, that's true. He might tell you he did stuff. <laughs> I will say, not trying to toot our own horn, but that's going to be hard to beat. Well, we <laughs> that's going to be hard to beat. It's going to be pretty hard to time. And everybody watching needs to look up a Studebaker Lark. <laughs> see, Studebaker Lark. See how little this car is, and then picture it back half in the backyard. No, no, my. I mean, just this was not a professional back half job. Okay. <laughs> and think about that car going mid fives on a short racetrack, and the rest of history. And it running over dog. Yeah, and jumping jumping over a track dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to, I bet you you got Fincham's wheels turning. He'll be watching this here in a little bit, and he'll be texting me a bunch of stories more than likely. Tony actually told us a bunch of stories about Fincham after he got off the show. He told us probably 45 minutes worth of Fincham stories. <laughs> were hysterical after that. <laughs> he got some great ones. And that, that was probably the original Hucklebuck for Hot Rod, so he knows. That, that was probably the first Hucklebuck ever when he ran over the track. Bobby Joe Pennington started it. Bobby Joe Pennington started Hucklebuck. <laughs> so, in today's world of uh, high-stakes bracket racing, what types of skills do you guys think drivers need to ultimately be successful now? Because it, it seems like, you know, in the I don't know. I guess I'd say in the in the late '90s and the maybe maybe you could go back to the early '90s, like whenever Danny was destroying everybody, Danny Nelson, and then Luke's uh, Cabooks, uh, he was killing everybody back then, um, and then the Williams brothers and Chain Car, and everybody really went on rolls and all this stuff. But like, I feel like, and obviously Scotty and Edmund, you know, and Luke. I mean, we just keep going, I guess. Keep but, going, yeah. But, uh, we get the point. The point is, I feel like those guys really learned how to race before a lot of people learned how to race, like in different ways that made things not look so normal. Like they weren't hitting the tree and running the number. They were assuming that, you know, maybe your car is consistent, so they'll just ride with you because it doesn't matter if your car is consistent as long as you can take a little bit, little number at the stripe, you know. But like, do you think that, uh, you know, holding numbers, hitting the tree, uh, spot drops, like what is what's the most important thing to do or do you really need to know how to do literally all of it every single run? Casey, you got to have all that. Uh, those are the basic skills that anybody needs, not just a great racer, you know, uh, just a good racer. you got to be able to hit the tree and you got to be able, be able to have put equipment on the racetrack that's competitive and capable of repeating. So that's the basic stuff. What the greats have that everybody don't possess is the ability to stay calm through very challenging runs, even when you know you missed it or um, you, you, your car's maybe not performing at a at a top-notch level and it's moving around 100, 200s here or there. Those people stay calm in the moment and they're able to overcome those things and turn losses into wins. They also have the ability to process what they see quickly. Your mind has to run as fast as the information is coming through your eyes. So if your car is a 150-mile-an-hour car, your mind has to be able to run 150 miles an hour. You listen to a guy go 450 in the eighth mile and, and the run he made, and then let him tell you the story about it when he gets back. It would take him a minute 
to tell you everything that went through his mind. Well, I knew when I let go, when it left, it wasn't as great as it, as I wanted it to be, but I had seen him leave and his was, you know, looked decent, but it didn't look awesome. And then about when it shifted, I thought, you know, I might be catching him and I think I'm going to be able to get by him, but I'm holding two. So I got to get rid of, you know, that whole thing that's happened in four and a half seconds. But right. your mind ran as fast as your car or the information that your eyes were seeing. That the, the greats have that ability, and they process that, and that's why they see five, six, eight thousandths a lot. Now, right. do they? Can they tell you exactly what that was? No. Can they tell you they were in front? Yes. Right. And so that's what that's the skills that the greats possess that everybody just won't always have. Right. So that being said, do you think that, do you think, because I've asked people this in the past uh, on this show, that what do you think uh, would be the ultimate bracket car if you were going to build it? Do you think the answer to that question is actually what matches you versus what's what, like as far as, you know, a 420 dragster, a, a 750 door car will never be able to judge a 420 dragster, same way other way around too, the, that that 420 dragster is not going to be able to judge that 750 door car. So either way, you're an anomaly on either side, in my opinion. But that being said, like you just said, your mind has to run as fast as, as the car does. So do you think certain guys will either get too fast or get in like a door car whenever they're a dragster guy and not perform quite as well because what they're not necessarily what they're capable of, but what they're used to is not what they're seeing. Because I know when I first, I always had, you know, 470 dragsters. Most of the time I was racing while I was running all my dad's stuff. When I got my own stuff, my Nova was running, you know, low teens to mid teens, somewhere around there, high teens at times, depending on how ridiculously hot it gets out here in North Carolina at times. But, uh, but I had a hard time, my first year, now I'm running 40 mile an hour slower in the eight, you know, maybe not quite, maybe 35, somewhere around there. But I had a hard time remembering that when a dragster hits high gear, it's basically leaving the starting line again. I'm like, man, he's way back there, you know. I'm going to hit the brakes and then they foot train me, you know. So well, they, don't, they don't see that any better than you do. You exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But do you think it's more of a what matches you type thing? Well, I think that's all. I think the ultimate weapon is all relative to who's holding the wheel, Casey. Um, you know, you, you've seen the greats win in just about anything, yet they they typically have a type of vehicle they like to race, and and they stick to that. So I think the ultimate weapon is ultimately whatever you like to drive that makes you the best racer. But if I could... If I could just generalize that, I'd say the ultimate weapon is anything that pretty much anybody could get in and go race it and be competitive, which is probably a 460, 470, 480 dragster. Right. Uh, those, as bad as I hate to say it, because you know I, I don't, I don't like swing sets or extension ladders. <laughs> I'm not right with all them. I'm a, I'm a fan of door cars because nobody ever said. Hey, they're running dragsters. Let's go to the fence and watch them. Right, right. I always want to see the door cars. Well, no offense to all dragster people, but I'm just not a fan. Well, and I mean, I think 
what you're saying is 100% true because I think that you're probably not out of the realm of saying Nick Hastings T1000 might be the winningest bracket car that's currently racing right now other than maybe one of Fletcher's cars. Yeah, you know, sure. it's uh, but who knows who knows what 610 feels like more than Nick Hastings. I mean, how many times do you think he's dialed 610 every single year? He probably makes more laps in one week dialed 610 than most people could. I mean, if he's racing four days, he might make more laps in four days than the average guy makes in a year. I mean, he swept loose rocker the other year, didn't he? Yeah, he's, he's obviously one of the greats and he'll go down as probably the best foot breaker ever. Um, and certainly holds his own on any other scale, top bulb, whatever. But, um, and he, O10 and 610 feels pretty natural to him because uh, he goes up. <laughs> but most of the time it's better than O10. But <laughs> that's right. true. That's right. What do you but think makes him so good? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think makes Nick specifically so good? Uh, again, just ultra focused. Uh, Nick doesn't let anything bother him. He, he gets, you know, he gets in some pretty high pressure situations when they start talking about money and those things. And that stuff just doesn't impact his performance. He, he's on some pretty big stages and he's just ultra focused and ultra calm. Uh, you, you saw him crash at the, at the guaranteed million. So I was not one of the first ones to him, but I was at his trailer when he drove his car back. And from where I was, I was standing back at the tower area outside. And when he when he hit the brakes and he got in the wall, I heard it go wide open and come back across the track on two wheels. Well, I thought it knocked him out and he's just on the rug fixing to come across and hit the other side. He was driving that. He was he was about to roll it and he stands on it mm -hmm. in, the, in the middle of a wreck and gets it back gathered up, gets out and sees that all it did was bust the right rear tail light and did a little damage on the back corner and he drives it back to the to the pits and starts fueling it up. He was he was just jumping out ready to fuel it and stuff when I was over there. I'm like, man, you scared me to death. I, I thought that that you crashed and was coming across. He said, Oh no. He said, I this thing sometimes it'll wobble with you when you when you get loose and you gotta stand in the gas and I mean who <laughs> thinks of that? <laughs> who thinks that when you come off the wall and you're on two wheels and who thinks to stab the gas it's an amazing focus that he has and a calmness about him that just allows him to go out there and perform like he performs round after round after round and he didn't have to worry about the car because he's got nationwide auto insurance helping out no big deal <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not sure they covered that one but <laughs> right. he's well, probably well. made enough to cover it Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> that's, so. that's for sure. No. So, so, and, and I guess this, Jed, I bet you get this question a whole lot. And, uh, but we're going to ask it anyway. Um, what does it mean to you to have your son doing such a great job following in your footsteps? Let's be honest. All of us have been taught how to do something or been showed the way. I go to my dad. When I think about him, he played drums. I was five years old. He played it in church, he played the drums. And one day he just said, here's the sticks. And just kind of challenged to see if I could do it. You think you can handle it? It's crazy how I remember this, but I grabbed the sticks and I said, yeah, I can handle it. And got to play and he never played again. He just said, it's yours now. Um, how's it feel to, to, to have JJ? Not only you've given him, he's watched you and learned it. You've given tidbits, he's learned them. 
But now he's excelling with everything that you've given to him. So I expect you, JJ, I'm going to tell you now, you're going to excel on the racetrack too, buddy. Uh, just watch, okay? Well, you, you, you won't have to watch. I'll just watch. You, you have fun doing it, okay? But how's that feel, Jed? Uh, George, words can't describe it. Um, you know, when when we knew we were going to have a baby and people say, what do you want? You know, you, you got the same answer, just healthy. Ten fingers, ten toes, and a healthy baby. And But a man inside is, is hoping for a little boy because I knew how much fun it was to be a little boy. I knew how much fun it was to father my to follow my father around and and back in the seventies I would be the guy pulling the wagon with five gallon bucket of water so we could cool it down and get ready for the next run. And you know, I knew how much fun it was being a little boy in a in a racing environment. So I wanted my son to be able to enjoy that. So, you know, you have a son and then you, you try to be real careful and not guide that son the way you want them to go. You want them to find something that interests them and, and they get passionate about it and love it and live it. And I did not guide him towards racing. Obviously, you know, he would go downstairs with me, have him work on the car and that type of stuff. And we, we obviously had a lot of racing going on. So that is obviously what he gravitated to. And then to see him really take up the announcing thing was what blew me away. Um, there was a, several years of his early life he couldn't go because it was just me at the track. Uh, you know, my wife would stay home and take care of him. But he watched those live feeds. And, and I'm forever indebted to Motor Mania, Joanne and Mark, and the promoters that gave me the opportunity to be on Motor Mania because J.J. got to watch the racing play out and listen to what I was doing and just naturally he he took it up and wanted to do it now it's not an easy task the announcing and being entertaining and, and uh, I guess um, information informational that's even a word that's a challenge so I would get home from these races and JJ had say you know I, I was watching Saturday and you said this is when he's five years old, four years old. You say, you said he dropped him like he's hot. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, you know, he, he, he knew he was holding, so he had to get rid of some, or he knew he wasn't getting there, and he got rid of some. I would explain it to him best I could to a four- or five-year-old instantly. He just, he just picked it up, and it, it was amazing to me to watch him understand that and incorporate it into what he was doing here at home. You know, he was announcing at home announcing his races we've all seen the living room nationals so he was announcing his races and then when he took it on the big stage he just continued to get better and better and better and and to sit back as a fan of his and watch that um it's it's the most wonderful feeling on earth uh you know he he's he gets his ego stroke quite a bit so we have to be careful there and make sure he understands you stay in our lane and, and don't let that blow your head up. But he gets told a lot how great he is at that and, you know, how respectful of a young man he is. He's yes or no, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Since he was able to talk and to sit back and watch the young man that he's becoming at the track and away from the track, you know, a straight A student with a with a B every so often. Um, super proud of him. Uh, you know, I, I, 
I wasn't, I didn't do that good a job raising him that the, the person he's turned out to be. Obviously, his mother deserved a lot of credit for that too. But um, he he just is naturally a good person with a good heart and a, a passion for racing. And as I've told him many times, you don't want your legacy to be that you were a great racer or a great announcer. You want your legacy to be that you were a good person that, that gave everything you had at whatever you take on. And as long as he stays that person, you know, he'll he'll continue to impress me and, and make me the proudest father on earth. I, I don't know where to go from there. You about got me, you about got me crying over here, to be honest, because I get to do the same thing. My oldest is five, so right. right on. I had to, I had to work a little bit there. You know, you some took glasses off. <laughs> <laughs> no, Casey, He's man, what we got here, dude? This has been a great show. We got about six minutes to the top of the hour, and guys, we appreciate you guys being on the show. Number one, Jed, JJ, and everybody who's tuned in. I think we peaked out around. 40 viewers on Facebook and 30 on YouTube. So not too bad for a, a couple of longtime friends who just just so happen to stop talking over the phone. Let's put it on camera, you know. But Casey, we got one question left. It's all yours, brother. And the uh, well, first thing, first thing I want to say is that obviously the reason why people say that about JJ is because it's true, first of all. So That's as fair. far as keep, keeping the ego in uh in check or whatnot i mean yes that's true but people say things because they mean them most of the time um, but we appreciate we appreciate the fact that jj is doing what he's doing and is uh you know learned a couple things from his old man it seems but uh we me and george before we ever started going like raising youtube channel i think it was right around the time where you were saying this is my last million i'm stepping back i'm going to do some family things things like that and me and george were like Oh, no, because Ryan wasn't quite in there yet. Um, Jake was doing a little bit, but we were like, man, we don't want it to go back to where we're just watching cars go down the track again because this is what, at that time, I was still living in Denver. I couldn't afford to race until I moved back to North Carolina or out to North Carolina, per se. Uh, so that's all I had. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, all, that's all we could do was watch racing and talk on the phone. We would just watch the million and just watch and talk on the phone the entire time um so we're really happy that jj kind of filled your shoes a little bit i'm sure one day he'll get in all of them pretty uh pretty soon <laughs> but uh who do you guys have to thank before you get off here man oh goodness there's a long list of people to thank but uh you know certainly as far as our racing program goes great folks at bte um those guys have been with me as a promoter for a long time they supported my racing program they're now supporting jj's racing program with with no expectations of win lights you know just uh, just helpful people and we're very appreciative of them uh hoosier has been a, a, a huge supporter as well we're very thankful for farron and the folks at hoosier um as far as our engine builder i'm almost 20 years now with huntsville engine so I'm thankful for Huntsville Engine and all they do for our racing program. Uh, certainly got uh, other people that, that support us, Brodix and May Race Carbs and um, Brad Pluer, Pluer Racing Products. You know, some people that really help us a lot. Adam Davis Race Cars is uh, the guy we take stuff to and we can't fool with it. And he fixes it like he fixes his own and gives us competitive stuff. So very fortunate. VP Racing has helped us out quite a bit on the fuel side and um, just really 
can't thank those people enough. I don't turn on near as many wind lights as, as the people that they have on their list of people to support. Um, but, you know, I hope to represent those companies well, and I try to at least send business their way and, and send people towards those companies that, that support us. And hopefully they're getting a return on their investment. And I appreciate you giving me a moment to, to discuss those guys. Absolutely, man. We appreciate you guys both coming on. Obviously, we need to thank TSR Racing Products, Champs Performance, for keeping Golden Bracket Racing YouTube channel going. If you need to get a hold of us, get a hold of us at goldenbracketracing.gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook. I think we got something called TikTok now. George has that thing going. We got Instagram over there. You can find us anywhere. So uh, get a hold of Golden Bracket Racing. And other than that, what do we say, George? Uh, guys, we'll see you next Tuesday.